Consciousness is always evolving and our present perception becomes our conscious reality. Is life happening for you or is it happening to you? A life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing your values. You are perfectly human and even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. If you seek truth and move in love, then your family. I invite you to have a seat at our table. You are listening to an authentic outlier, the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. But when I think about boundaries, I think about a property line. And that's all a boundary is. Boundary allows you to clearly distinguish which territory belongs to you versus what belongs to somebody else. That's what a boundary is. It distinguishes and establishes your territory versus someone else's. The reason why that's important is because when it comes down to moving boundaries, I've never seen anybody move a property line before. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to move boundaries. As a matter of fact, the only time I've ever seen boundaries being moved is honestly in my life, police officers, you know, they put up barricades and they move the barricades. I've seen them move the barricades for the LSU football games and whatnot. But those are the only times I've ever seen boundaries being moved by police moving barricades. And so let me understand this, that the police go in and they put down the barricades to establish their territory. This is our area now. The yellow tape, the barricades, this is our area. So that's what boundaries do. Boundaries assist in establishing your territory and distinguishing your territory from someone else's. I would not suggest uh, trying to move boundaries. What I would really suggest you do is step up and decide what governance you want to have over your territory instead of trying to move boundaries. This concept of moving boundaries, it appears to be more fear-rooted than anything else because you can put up a wall against somebody, but you got to remember that as you're walling yourself up to protect yourself from whatever's outside, you're also being walled in. And so it's not about moving boundaries, in my opinion. I don't move my boundaries. What I do is I establish governance and I make sure that I'm clear about how I'm going to govern my territory, which the boundaries establishes for me. And so, again, when the business and the crap from the week comes on you, remember what your boundaries are, what your territory is. So that way you can remove the nonsense that does not belong to you, because a lot of people want you to mow their yard for them, too. And the whole time you're mowing their yard and trying to take care of your yard, they're talking about the spots they missed, you missed in their yard, in your yard. So understand what is your territory versus what belongs to someone else's. And that's if, if you can understand that concept, then I think you have a better understanding of what boundaries are, which is, again, distinguishes a territory. And then what you need to do next, once you understand what your territory is, to decide how to govern that territory based off of principle. My passion is social justice, first and foremost, and uh, maternal mental health. So all of this, excuse me, maternal, overall maternal health with an emphasis on maternal mental health. So, you know, this is all intertwined. My passion is healthy moms, healthy babies, healthy black moms, healthy babies. And in order to have healthy moms and healthy babies, and especially healthy black moms and healthy babies, we have to have a healthy state of mental health. So I have worked in maternal child health for a little over 12 years. The origins of that being in March of Dimes, which is a national leader in maternal and child health. Throughout my time with March of Dimes, I started my family. I gave birth to 
our son, who's now five. It was a great experience, pretty much his textbook as it comes for the most part. And then further along in that journey, about two years later, I gave birth to our daughter, who really caught us by surprise that she was she was born early. She was born three months early and really fall for her life in the newborn intensive care unit. And experiencing that journey firsthand was an extra awakening for me, even though I worked in this field and I had the, the privilege of working with parents who had walked that journey before. But it wasn't until I found myself in that journey, sitting in the, the intensive care unit alongside my husband for a period of time and across the isolate from my daughter that I truly could understand what it was like to experience having your child, one, born early, two, fight for their life, and three, be in a hospital environment where you physically could not do what you wanted to do to assure that your child survived and thrived. And it was just really a wait and see. And as a person of faith, really leaning on my faith in God to get us through that moment and to allow breath to continue to manifest in our daughter's body to bring her through that that challenge. And one of the things that I quickly realized was a reality for a lot of NICU families was the mental health strain that you go through when you are in such a traumatic experience. And as I was sitting there in the NICU next to my daughter with my, you know, 10 years of knowledge as an expert in maternal child health, but there was really nothing that I could do to stop what happened with her, it was just a mental toll like I had never been through. And with society really not really supporting moms the way it should and being this very capitalist society that we live in that has super unrealistic demands for moms and with moms, many of us just trying to go with the flow and adapting to what we see and what we think other people are doing and thriving well, just realizing how much that is just not healthy and how much I needed to attend to my own mental health and well-being and physical health. And just pledging that once, you know, my daughter was brought through that journey and that I was in a position and ready to talk about once I understood what was happening to me, that I vowed to be an advocate for maternal mental health and be that voice for moms who did not feel comfortable speaking out about something that's so taboo and stigmatized to really try to shed a light on it because on some, you know, some period of, periods of time for me in that journey, it was just really debilitating. And I remember seeing you at, I think it was a dialogue on race function months after I started venturing out um, after I'd gone back to work. And I was like, hey, Harry, we need to talk. You know, have you heard of, you know, postpartum, not postpartum, perinatal post-traumatic stress disorder? This is really an area that, you know, folks really need to take a, a greater look at and even down to asking you, you know, for recommendations on therapists. So in a nutshell, that's my passion. And I'm just really happy to be able to talk about this more today, which ironically is almost the end of maternal mental health week. But then, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so it's perfect time. So talk to me, like, help me understand how does racism manifest itself? Because, you know, we talk about institutional racism and, and, and what it's uh, doing to African-American women as far as maternal health, but how does it manifest itself? You know, what does it look like? Sure. It looks like a myriad of things, right? So from 
a systems level, you look at the social determinants of health, right? And I know you're familiar with the social and political determinants of health. So the systems and structures that we have as black women have to interact with on a daily basis just to survive. So everything from, you know, transportation to housing to the environment to you know, looking at um, things like unfair wages, so economic disadvantage in economics. I know we just talked about low economic or social status isn't necessarily a determining factor for, you know, wellness, but those things do matter. So looking at the fact that, you know, black women receive, what is it, 60 two or 67 cents on a dollar as, you know, a white man. I mean, these are things that, you know, inhibit our earnings over time, inhibit us from being able to care for our families the way that we want to and that we deserve. We look at like, you know, historically, a lot of folks by now know about redlining. We look at things that inhibited black families from acquiring generational wealth. It looks like lack of home ownership. It looks like people taking advantage of us. Um, with predatory lending, it looks like not having adequate insurance or having subpar insurance or, you know, just having discrimination on the job. It looks like a lot of things. It looks like everything that you know racism to be, but I know some folks in our audience, you know, may not be familiar with those systems and structures. But then on a a personal level, it looks like when black women are mistreated by medical professionals in whatever setting, whether it's in an obstetric setting where it's a birthing person that is seeing a doctor, you know, who is pregnant, people not hearing our concerns. It looks like proper protocols not being followed and it not being mandated by those particular institutions or people operating in a sense because they know that there are not repercussions because at the root level of it all is really the dehumanization of blackness and black bodies, whether one realizes it or not, hence the evolution of implicit bias, right? Mm. And of course, you know, all bias isn't implicit, it's just as equally explicit. But those are just some examples, you know, of the ways these types of things show up. When I looked at the studies, you know, one of the things that they, the reasons that they state that there's this disparity is that when African-American women go to the doctor, their complaints are more likely to be expressed in uh, with physical complaints as opposed to the uh, emotional, you know, really addressing a lot of the psychological things that are going on. And that's the, that's the reason why I posed the question about interoception, because there's a grand misunderstanding about trauma in particular mm-hmm. and exactly how people cope with trauma. You know, you were listing all the things that you went through and halfway through the list of things that you didn't went through. I, I was I was halfway through a stroke. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I couldn't imagine, you know, going through all of that stuff, you know, and then on top of that. Because that's just the stuff that you that you went through, the 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 abnormal things that most people don't go through that you went through. And then you still got to learn how to function. You still got to deal with functioning in life and adulting in life. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so it, and, and so that's that's the reason why I was asking about interoception in particular, because I believe that we do have an issue with not expressing ourselves and talking about what's really going on, because a lot of us don't even know what the hell is going on with us. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you bring up a, a good point. And I would say this, 
you said a lot, um, and I don't even really know where to start. But in terms of, you know, the things on the list, I mean, there are parents who have had much more adverse experiences with, you know, their their pregnancies and with the outcomes of their children after birth. There are parents who are bereaved parents who are dealing with the actual loss of their child or children. There are people who are dealing with miscarriages of, of their babies. There are people who are dealing with processing long-term abnormalities and with their children and just trying to find a path you know, of survival for them and just safety. I mean, there's just so much. And you said something like, you know, people are trying to process what's happening to them. And, you know, I feel like I, I was privileged in a sense that because I did have a maternal health background and I'm very quick to take to the literature, <laughs> start reading something. I'm going to find, I'm going to get on my computer. I'm going to find out what's happening to me, but I, I try to be well informed. And I remember just reading some things before. So I ended up taking to the literature and that's when I really found out about post-traumatic, you know, stress disorder and postpartum anxiety. Cause I mean, I'd heard of post part of depression. I was prepared for that when I had my son. It didn't manifest. And then, bam, you know, I'm, I'm thanking God that my child survived and was able to be sent to the NICU and be medically assisted until she was able to be stable. But the focus is oftentimes the child and not the mom. And as, as people, uh, and I don't mean just black people, as just a lot of people in general, you're conditioned to just kind of go with the flow okay, well, everybody expects you to be okay and be normal. Oh, it's eight weeks. It's time to go back to work. Oh, it's this time. You should be out with your friends or the baby's supposed to be going this place. And you have to break those societal norms and do what's right for you for your healing process. You know, uh, just one example, one practical example real quick. And conscious, I'm going to get you in here after that. All right, man. I remember some years ago, my mother calling me. This was, I don't, I don't know what she had just had surgery on, but she, you know, she could barely walk. She was in a whole lot of pain. And I remember her telling me how she went to the doctor's office and she asked to be placed on leave for a little while long. And she, she told me the doctor said something along the lines of, well, everybody has to work. <laughs> and I believe that that was a black doctor. You see, there is this in this implicit bias they are this there's this culture this poisonous view that black people are mules that we can tolerate more pain that we can work harder longer that we can be subjected to the most toxic environments and we're supposed to be okay with it on top of dealing with all the trauma that we have to experience outside of work in inside of work, then we have to face these different environmental stressors, going to the doctor, paying the same money, using the same insurance and still being treated like a mule. And so, you know, I wanted to make it blunt like that. I wanted to make it blunt like that because I, I, I need people to understand that these aren't impoverished black women you know, who don't know how to regulate their tone when they're in the doctor's office coming in there cutting up. Because I know that's what people imagine. They're imagining the ignorant people going up in there and cutting up, and that's the reason why they don't get the care that they get. No, it is everyday people, the people that you call friends that are going in there and be, still being treated like mules. They are your sisters. They are your daughters. They are your mothers. They are your grandmothers. If they have black skin, 
more than likely, they will not be treated with the same compassion that someone of a lighter hue would. So, you know, I definitely saw that you felt what I was talking, <laughs> what I was saying when I was saying it, you know. But did that capture, you know, uh, pretty much the the experience that black women have been going through? And that continues to exacerbate and contribute to this, the, the, the health disparities across the board, you know, when it comes down to black women. It does. You know, there is a campaign right now that the, I think uh, it's, it's launched by, oh, I don't know, if CDC or National Healthy Star. I don't remember, but it's called Hear Your Concerns, Hear Her Concerns. And I know there's an organization here in Baton Rouge called Family Road of Greater Baton Rouge that is actually going to start launching that later this month or next month. And it's a campaign for people to listen to moms and listen to black women. If we say that something's wrong with us, if we say that we're in pain, if we say that something's just not right, that, you know, take the time to listen. And one of the things I was saying earlier as an intervention, just really um, one of the things that, that I'm working towards with the public education campaign Black Mama Joy is empowering and informing black women and birthing people and families. So how to recognize when someone may be having some sort of cardiovascular episode, how to recognize some of the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, how to recognize symptoms of a stroke, you know, what to look for in a postpartum period if there's, you know, unusual bleeding, listening to your body, listening to yourself, how to act. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You flew it. But I got so it sounds like you have to we have to teach ourselves how to identify the symptoms that doctors should be doing for us. Correct. So um, basically, it's education to teach ourselves how to doctor ourselves since we're not getting the care that we should be receiving. Well, not so much how to doctor yourselves, but how to recognize common ailments that disproportionately impact us as as black people and how to communicate those concerns, how to communicate, report that to your doctor. So, for example, if you I'll just give an example of, you know, your, you, when you're as your baby, you know, gets older inside the womb and gets bigger, you know, as a mom, you should be watching out for movement, making sure your babies continue to move because babies don't slow down once they start moving. Right. They right. continuously move and they get more active. They may run out of space but they're still active. But one example could be a mom may say, you know what? I'm not really feeling my baby move as much. So you might call and they may say, and it just depends on, you know, the doctor could um, say, okay, well drink a Coke or lay down on your side, lay down on your left side, get your digestive system flowing, drink something cold and see if the baby moves. But if it's a mom that's like, no, look, I know this is just not right. My baby normally moves this much and we're not moving. I mean, then you, have to like literally make sure your doctor says, okay, or the nurse is the communicating the, the person in between the liaison that they say, come in. Right. Cause I mean, as a mom, I mean, there's nothing you, you can do the machinery and the tests are there to take a look. Right. And the, you know, the, the monitor to, to look at the heartbeat and, you know, the sonogram to actually look, you know, inside your womb. So understanding how to communicate that as best as possible, even though there's been people who can, communicate great and still aren't heard, but it's making sure that we're armed as people with the best resources and you know what to look out for so that you can be relentless when you know what your body is experiencing and communicating that to the medical professional. So you know you're not doctoring yourself, but you are making sure that you are familiar with common ailments and issues that could literally kill you. 
Do you tell your time what to do, or does your time tell you what to do? Are you living, or are you merely existing? Are you constantly reacting, or are you responding to life? Mixed beliefs create confusion, and confusion creates a life of stagnation. Desire change? Visit www.becomeanoutlier.com slash about. That is www.becomeanoutlier, becomeanoutlier.com slash about, A-B-O-U-T, to start your journey. Stay tuned for more episodes and keep listening to the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner.